See that really cool lightning out there this morning? I love that kind of stuff. Lisa doesn't like it, but I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty fun to go to church and see lightning flashing. Are you awake? Wake up. Okay, be nice now. I mean, I, I'll get you warmed up and out there in time for a hot dog for camp. So uh, today's the 28th. Here's a, a quick verse out of Proverbs 28. I chose verse 19. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. There is some great uh, marriage advice to young ladies. Do not date a guy who only loves video games and chases <laughs> fantasies. Um, I suppose I can joke about that, but it's more true than we would want to admit. So let's just take a minute before we get into the Word today. Um, take a minute and look around you. Look at the person in front of you. I know they got their back to, to you. Now, now turn around and look at the person behind you. People behind you. Look to your left and look to your right. Look at the people around you. And now on the count of three, you point at the one that you think is the biggest sinner. One, two, three. Point. <laughs> I see several of you pointing at the one next to you. I see about four people pointing at the same guy over here. That's good. He's pointing at himself. <laughs> there was a, um, I had this conversation a, a number of years ago. I'm, I'm chatting with a, a couple of people, a couple of, of friends at, at church, and we're talking along. And then they looked at their wife and said, oh, I got to get, I got to go. We got to go. I said, Where are you going? Oh, we're on our way to go see the movie The Hangover for the second time. It's just hilarious. And I said, oh, that sounds really fun. If it's that funny a movie, maybe I should take Lisa. And they said, no, 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 (laughs) no, no. Pastor Terry, you can't go see that movie. And in fact, don't don't take Lisa. I said, hold on just a minute here. Wait a second. You're going for the second time, and you're saying because I'm a pastor, I shouldn't see this movie. Yeah, that's kind of the way it worked. I want to talk to you today (laughs) about truish beliefs about right and wrong truish beliefs about sin. And in case you're new, um, this is the last message in this series we've been um, been studying over the last several weeks. I want to just review a couple of terms that we've talked about. The first term is the word relativism. Relativism, and that's the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. It's really example. I mean, an example is that if you're in your 50s or older, you grew up um, with the people when you grew up Believing in absolute truth. You know, what was true years ago is still true today. You, you, you were taught that. But in today's emerging generations, there's, there's not a belief in absolute truth by most people. In fact, you know, there's, they would say that truth changes. Truth evolves. What used to be wrong may not be wrong any longer. It might be okay today. So, um, you know, you don't have a corner on the truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Pretty common. Which leads to a second um, common belief, and that's subjectivism. Subjectivism. What's subjectivism? It's the belief that I, the subject, have the right to determine what is right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside of myself. In other words, you don't have the right to tell me what's right or wrong because there's no absolute truth. Don't try to impress you know, your truth on me. I'll determine for myself what's right. I'll determine for myself what's wrong um, because what's right for me or what's true for me may not be true for you. And these two very, very common belief systems, relativism and, and, and subjectivism, have led to a huge shift in virtues. 
Um, they've, they've led to this huge shift in, in virtues, the way people live, what they believe at their core. And so to kind of help you see that this has shifted, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, ask yourself the question, what do you think is the most commonly quoted Bible verse out there today? I mean, what do you think it is out there? If, if you were thinking, you know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, you know, and we were asking this question 10 years ago, you'd be exactly correct. Most common, you know, the computers can count these things. A t- number of times something comes up in text or whatever. Um, and, and 10 years ago, that would have been right. But that's not the most commonly quoted Bible verse anymore. The most commonly quoted verse, according to studies, is not John 3.16. It's Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. In other words, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Non-Christians like to quote the Bible a lot when it's that one. You know, they, they don't judge me, don't talk about how I'm living. Um, and the verse is often used to, as a defense for doing whatever I want. Or, or it's, and it's misused by us Christians too. It's like a justification for, for what we're doing. Now, historians tell us that um, that during the time of Jesus, there was one virtue that was pretty commonly accepted, kind of stood head and shoulders above the rest, um, and uh, was considered maybe the most important virtue, the most venerated virtue during the life of Jesus, and f- had been for centuries before. And, and that most common, most venerated virtue was, was the virtue of justice. Justice. You know, God is a just God. An eye for an eye. You know, if, if you do something wrong, you're going to pay the price. Justice. Today, the most common, commonly venerated virtue is not justice. According to 85% of the cultures in the world today, the most important virtue is tolerance. Tolerance. Now, if you're my age or older, when you hear the word tolerance, you think um, you're put up, putting up with someone. <laughs> especially putting up with me. I mean, or putting up with something that you really don't like. That's what, what you mean by tolerance. You know, for example, if Eric decides to come back and to try to start a fad about wearing mullets again, I won't like it, but I will tolerate you because I love you, okay? So if you want to have a mullet, thank God you're not. I'm so glad. Um, or, or, or another example is that if you like cats, you, you know, you don't like my cat jokes, but you tolerate my cat jokes. So every once in a while, I'll say something nice about cats. Like, for example, I'm kind of starting to like cats a little bit. I just can't eat a whole one by myself. <laughs> So you tolerate my cat jokes. You may not like them, but you tolerate them. Now, if you to look up what the word tolerance actually means, you'd see several explanations for what the word tolerance means. Um, you know, when I think of tolerance, one of the first things I think of is, is, is about a hot rod. I'll come back to a hot rod in a minute. But it's a willingness to vary from a standard. Tolerance. It's the ability to absorb a toxin. Tolerance. The ability to take something in you that's poisonous is tolerance. It's the acceptance of a transplant without rejecting. It's, it's, it's allowing some foreign object into your body and your body accepting it. It's a permissive attitude towards 
beliefs and practices. If you're a hot rodder, a tolerance, tolerance means you, know, you, you get those parts so close to each other, just close enough to work well without destroying them, each other. And today's newest definition of tolerance, all beliefs, all values, all lifestyles are equal. That's what tolerance means today, and that's what tolerance is embraced by, by 85% of the cultures on our planet. It doesn't matter what you believe, what you do, or how you live. As long as you don't hurt anyone, you can do whatever you want. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. There's no truth anyway, so you, know, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. I'll make my own determination. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. Let's tolerate whatever beliefs and lifestyle everyone has, because they're absolutely equal. That's a philosophy that is, that is gaining momentum and impacting us in the news every day. Tolerance. And, um, I mean, we saw that this week. We saw that this week in, in decisions that came down from the highest levels of our own government Next week, um, I'm going to start a new series that I've had planned and actually been working on for, for quite a long time, a number of months. And I'm going to talk about, we're going to start examining the concepts of what do we do when life isn't fair? How do we respond when what's being asked of us by a boss isn't righteous or, or a government? How do we respond or a spouse? We're going to talk about that. But God described this mindset and we see it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll put this, the scriptures. By the way, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, even if it's on your phone, because who knows? I saw that lightning today, and I thought, you know, I might not be able to put the Bible up for you, and you just have to take my word for it. It'd be really good for you to have your Bible and be able to, to verify that what you're hearing is really the word of God. I, not just here, but especially out there. Okay, so, okay, 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 3. When Paul, he's talking to Timothy, he says, For the time will come... When men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Hey, it's your body. You can do whatever you want. It's your life. Don't let anybody tell you, you know, how to live it. Maybe it's wrong to them, but it's not wrong to you. The bottom line, anyway, is that you're happy. God wants you happy. So you should be able to do whatever makes you happy. Itch, 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 scratch, scratch, scratch. Okay, verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to truish beliefs. Turn aside to myths. They will turn to truish beliefs about right and wrong. And I want to show you three very prevalent truish beliefs about right, right and wrong. And if you're taking notes, the first one is very common. People believe this statement. One, I'm not a bad person. I'm not an axe murderer. Uh, I'm not nearly as bad as a lot of people. I'm just not a bad person. And to justify my truish belief um, that I'm not a bad person, I've got two tools to help me with that. And the two tools. One is the tool of comparison. And the second one is the tool of, we'll call it repackaging. Comparison. You know, I don't cuss as much as you. You know, I, I mean, I do every now and then if I hit my thumb with a hammer or if the officer pulls me over or if I slice the golf ball, but not like you, you know? I mean, I mean, you do it all the time. I'm just not, so I'm just not a bad person. Or, you know, when I compare myself, there's always somebody that looks worse than me. So um, I'm just not that bad of a person. I look around, there are a lot of people that are a lot worse than me. 
And by the way, that's how we started. I saw you pointing at each other, at those other sinners that are so worse than you. And then the second way is repackaging. Um, repackaging. And, and anything that I can, another way that I can justify um, what really is, is sinful behavior is I can repackage sin. I can kind of soften the words of how I describe it and make them sound so much better. For example, I won't call it pornography. I'll call it adult att- entertainment because, after all, that's what adults do to entertain themselves, right? It's adult entertainment. It's, it's, it's that. Or I won't say I lied. It was just kind of a fib. It's just kind of an omission. I, maybe I exaggerated a little bit. Um, don't tell me. Don't say I committed adultery. Come on, I'm a guy. I mean, and, and I just was kind of fooling around, having a little fun on the side. Or don't call it premarital sex. I mean, it's, you know how much we love each other? I mean, everybody does this. I, I'm, and I'm not a bad person. I'm not doing anything else that, nobody, that anybody else is doing. Truish belief. I'm not a bad person. The second truish belief about right and wrong is born from that statement that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And since there's no absolute truth, number two, you have no right to tell me how to live. Who are you to judge me? You know, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. And, and don't, don't get yourself into my business. It's none of your business. Don't tell me it's wrong because you have no right to do that. And Besides, if it's wrong, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway, right? I mean, we have this deal. God loves me. He sends me. He's going to send me to heaven, and it's going to work out fine. So I can do whatever I really want. It's really not that big of an issue. And when you take the first, the truish belief number one, and add to it um, truish belief number two, you get truish conclusion number three. And I want to show you how dangerous... Um, those beliefs lead to a, a very, very profoundly dangerous conclusion. Um, so belief one, I'm not a bad person, and two, you have no right to tell me how to live. And the conclusion is number three, I can justify doing anything that I want to do, which is exactly where tons of people are living today. You know, I'm not a bad person. You can't tell me, therefore, I can pretty much justify doing whatever I want to do. And, you know, you've probably seen a bazillion examples of this going on, you know, dating. I know they used to say we shouldn't live together before marriage, but everybody's doing it. I mean, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. And, you know, we're going to get married anyway, and, and we're married in our hearts. You know, we're married in our hearts, so we're moving in together. I know it's just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. Don't tell me how to live. Or, or maybe you're already married. You've been married for 18 years, and you got three kids, and you're saying, well, you're just not making me happy. I know we promised before God, but, you know, for better or for worse. But let's be real. I've gotten better, and you've gotten worse. <laughs> you're not making me happy. And since God wants me happy and you're not making me happy, I can justify doing something that otherwise would be wrong. And in the name of happiness, because I'm not a bad person, and who are you to tell me? Uh, I can do whatever I want. Or it could be styles. You know, I mean, if you look sometimes at the clothing styles today, you know, and mom's saying, well, honey, you know, you, you should dress more modestly. Yeah, but mom, this is its style. But honey, you kind of look like a hooker. Well, I don't care if I look like a hooker. This is the style, and it's more important to me to be in style. Why? 
Because one, I'm not a bad person. Two, and who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? Therefore, the dangerous conclusion is I can do whatever I want. Now, for those of you who are listening to this and you're not Christians, I really have very little to say to you about how you live. I mean, really. I really don't because if you don't believe in God and if you don't believe in heaven and hell, and if you really don't believe that how your beliefs and actions on this earth affect your forever, then this is not meant to be said. You really might as well just do whatever you feel like doing because it doesn't make any eternal difference anyway. But for those who I want to lovingly challenge are those of us who call ourselves Christians. And... We actually believe that um, our actions and beliefs determine our eternal destiny. Um, and, and we're basically saying, well, God, I know what you say, but I'm still going to do what I want, whatever it is. And there's a generation of so-called Christians that have that mindset. By the way, when I say there's a generation I'm not talking about 20-somethings or 30-somethings or 40-somethings. I'm saying a generation that's alive today, me included, us, they have that mindset. In the very first week of our series, um, we read in Romans chapter 1 um, where it says that the people exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You might remember that. And I was revisiting Romans 1 in my studies for this, and there's a really common mindset in, 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 in today's generation, and the verses in that passage really capture it. And, and I want to, t- to say this to you, that I spent some significant time in prayer in my study trying to decide whether to share this passage. Not that I would ever shield from you um, the word of God, but these are very, very direct words. And we have a tendency to read these words and think completely that it applies to other people. But these are serious words. This is Romans 1, starting in verse 28. And I'm going to give it to you from the New King James Version, uh, which is the version I trust the most. But I'm going to, a couple of times I'm going to jump over to another version for clarity purposes, and I'll tell you when I'm doing that. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. I want to read that same verse in the NIV. It says, Furthermore, since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He said, okay, fine. This is what you really want. This is who you really choose to be. Fine. I don't want you there. This is not my heart for you. This is not what's going to lead you to life. This is not what's going to bless you. But this is your choosing, and okay, if you want to be depraved, you know, in your mind. And, and then he goes on and he says, okay, um, verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, how true this is, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, yeah, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. They invent ways of doing evil. How true is that today? They are disobedient to parents. By the way, every time I've ever read this passage, I'm thinking, wait a second. Disobedient to parent is in the same sentence with murder. 
God, did you just make a mistake here? I look at that and it, it, it is, I've been disobedient to my parents. I confess that to you now. <laughs> my mother's not here today. Um, it's not because of this, though. She's got a legitimate reason for not being here. Um, but, but don't allow your, don't give yourself a pass on this, this, this passage because you haven't murdered somebody. God, apparently, this made the list. Okay, verse 31, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. NIV adds the, the, the words heartless and ruthless. And this is where this just pierces the way people are living today. Verse 32, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, and that's what so many so-called believers, although they know about God's righteous decree, um, that those who practice such things are deserving of, wow, death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Scripture says that although they know right and they know their sin deserves death, not only do they continue those things, but they approve of those who practice them. God, I know this isn't what you want, but I'm going to do it and it's what I want. It's just what I'm going to do anyway. I'll kind of explain what that's kind of like. Um, before I was pastoring here, I pastored in another church um, up north, and many of you know the church. And um, today the church um, has multiple services at different times, and, and some of those services are, um, um, the whole service is live, but there is a recording of, of the sermon, and then you see a video of the preaching. And this story, though, precedes that at a time when there was multiple campuses. And so one Sunday I was preaching there, and it was at, at that time we had a, a service at the main Living Water campus, and then there was one at Olympia High School, and then another one. So there was a 9 o'clock at the main campus, a 10 at Olympia High School, which is a couple of miles away, and then an 11 back at the main campus. So I'm preaching, and the, and the protocol was, as a preacher, you would go to the first service, you'd worship, preach, get in your car, drive to Olympia, and while you were preaching, they would be starting the worship at the Olympia campus, and so you would just get out of your car and walk in the back door just at the right time to preach, preach, get back in your car, drive back over to the main campus. They had started the worship for the second service. You see what I'm saying? It was all this overlapping. I'm now justifying why I was speeding, okay? Okay? <laughs> so, so, um, so there's this, so, so I'm driving between those two one time, and um, I'm leaving. I've preached at the 9 o'clock. I'm heading to go preach over at the 10 o'clock at Olympia High School, and if you know the streets there, there's a lot of this kind of going on, you know, thing. it's not a straight shot, and that time on a Sunday morning, the streets are kind of deserted, pretty much. And I got into this bad habit of going a little faster than I should and cutting some corners. Don't look so righteous at me. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm doing what I shouldn't ought to do, and I, I, I'm hopping in my car, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm on a mission for God. And so I'm, 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 make, I'm cutting this corner, and um, I cut this corner, going too fast, and there was a car coming the other way. Now, he was a good two to three blocks away. I would put him at maybe a couple hundred yards, quite a ways away. This is a 25 zone. I'm probably doing 35, and I've cut across the opposite lane. It wasn't overtly dangerous. It was just regular dangerous, okay? <laughs> it wasn't bad. But the guy coming the other way took exception. And now he's, okay, so now we're head-to-head going maybe 30 miles an hour. And instead of just ignoring it, he didn't like it, 
and he showed me he didn't like it by swerving into my lane and back two times. And then I see his hand come out and start doing something, not this. Okay? And I'm thinking, okay, I violated your lane. You're right. I was wrong to do it, but it made me angry. But I'm, I'm trying to be a pastor. and I'm trying to do the right thing. And as we get closer, his hand, what it was was, you know what it was, okay? But as we get close and we pass, you know, he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. You got a living water. <laughs> he recognized me and I recognized him. This guy flipped the pastor, his, the bird. <laughs> now, not that I was doing things right, <laughs> but between the, the, the cutting of the corner and the first swerving and the hand coming out, something in my heart said, grow up, Terry do this right. And so I was, I was in that, you know, my bad, you know, the, the, you know, this is the, your bad signal. You know what I'm talking about? There's also a, my bad signal, which is kind of where you're going to tip, tip your head down. You're right. You know what I'm talking about? My bad. Didn't, shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. You right. You know what I'm talking about? So he was giving me the, your bad signal. I'm giving him that my bad signal, but he ought not to have flipped me off. I mean, it just, <laughs> and we can kind of chuckle about that. But what's really sad is that today, a lot of us who would name Jesus as our Savior and Lord would never flip God off. But by our actions, sometimes we're basically flipping God off. Aren't we? I mean, seriously? I mean, yeah, I know what you say, God, but this, you know, and we know what's right and wrong. But we continue to do the wrong thing. Why? Because truish belief, number one, I'm not a bad person, plus truish belief, number two, how can you tell me what's right or wrong, leads me to truish conclusion, number three. I can kind of justify doing anything I want. I mean, it's all good. Wink, wink. I mean, you're going to forgive me and take me to heaven anyway, right, God? And I know that we are in a very grayish world. But I want to try and give you two black and white truths about you that you can take to the bank. Okay, all day long. First one is this. You are a bad person. Welcome to Crossroads Church, the feel-good church. I'm here to (laughs) make you feel good about yourself. How am I doing? Okay, I mean, but seriously... So much of what is being taught and preached today is kind of a self-help gospel where, you know, you're okay, I'm okay, just try harder, here's seven steps to, you know, your best life. And you and I need to understand the truth is you are a bad person. I'm a bad person. We are sinful in the eyes of God. First John is really clear about this. It says in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, the scripture says, if we say that we have no sin, if we claim to be without sin, if we say we are a good person, then we're living with this truth belief. And and verse goes on, it says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so what I'm trying to do today without driving you out the doors is to help you, help me, 
see that apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that you're lost. You are. Just because you go to church, just because you grew up around the church, some of you're lost. You are. Jesus came, though, to seek and to save the lost. And until you realize that you're lost, you're never going to realize that you need to be found. Until you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you're never going to see your need for a Savior. Now, (laughs) I've probably made my point, but just to prove to you how bad you really are, okay? I want to ask a couple of questions. How many of you have ever told a lie? Oh, come on, hands up on this one. Come on, you've ever told a lie? Okay, good, okay. So, uh, and, and, and you say, okay, if you didn't have your hands up, you would know that those people were liar, liar, pants on fire right then, okay. Um, how many of you have ever stolen something? Come on, just put your hands up. I mean, come on, you never stole. I mean, those of you who are not tithers, go ahead and put your hands up too because you're, you're, you're stealing from God. That's what Scripture says, week after week, stealing from God. Um, how many of you ever had a lustful thought? Put your hands up. I'm putting my hand down. I've never had a lustful thought. I'm a man of God. I don't do those. Okay, fine. Liar, liar, pastor. Okay, how many of you have ever taken God's name in vain? Come on. Never taken the Lord's name in vain. Okay. I mean, some of you are going, hey, this is pretty easy. I'm starting to feel part of a group. Keep going, Terry. I mean, okay. (laughs) So if we look at those things from God's eyes, what does this actually make you? You know, if, if, if you've said you've told a liar, that, a lie, that makes you a liar, right? Okay. If you've stolen something in God's eyes, that makes you a, a thief, right? Okay. If you've had a lustful thought, Jesus said that that's the same as committing adultery. So if you've had a lustful thought, you're an adulterer, okay? And if you've taken the Lord's name in vain, the word calls that blasphemy. You're a blasphemer, okay? So when we say, I'm not a bad person, not a bad person. God would actually say, well, you know, from my viewpoint, you are a lying, thieving, (laughs) adultering blasphemer. (laughs) You know, you're you're a bad person. But I've got a good heart. No. You really don't. (laughs) I mean, you don't. Scripture says your heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah, it says desperately wicked. Look it up. Jeremiah 17. And that word for wicked really means incurably sick. Apart from God, we're nothing. Oh, but I do good works, you know. On, uh, when I go shopping at Christmas and the Santa Claus with the kettle and the bell, I put money in there and I'm, I greet at the, I'm a greeter at the church. And, you know, not that our ushers are sinners. I don't want to say that or anything. You know, I, I do good things. But here's the deal. All of our righteousness added up together in the eyes of God. Here's what scripture says, and this is point blank. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The Bible says they're like filthy rags. Now, many of you probably know what the literal translation of filthy rags is. It's the rags that women would use during their menstrual cycle. Now, Bible translator didn't want you to go, ooh. I want you to go, ooh, ooh. Because that's what it is. I mean, that's what our best acts amount to in the Lord's mind. Ooh. 
We're bad people. I'm a bad person. You're a bad person. Black and white truth number one, you're a bad person. Black and white truth number two, you can find forgiveness and healing through Christ. You can. Today, I promise you, you can be different through Christ. Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. If you go before God today, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you, he'll, he'll purify you from all, all unrighteousness. Which leads us to a true and honest confession before God. And 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, says, godly sorrow brings repentance. It's this deep agony that just says, I really am sorry for what I've done to hurt you. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Scripture says no regret. I love that. But worldly sorrow brings death. And you know, I can tell you right now that there is something, you know, personal. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, something that's, that I, I know displeases God about me. And if this is one thing, you know, and if, if I told you what it was, you'd, you know, say, hey, you know, that's, come on, that's no big deal. A lot of people do that. But you just don't understand. For me, the closer that I get to God, you know, the more clear it is to me that it just grieves his spirit to see me hurt my future and my life by doing and believing. And I want Jesus' help to just kind of squash that thing that's going on. And, and because there's this godly sorrow in me that just says, ick. And, you know, I even found myself apologizing to some family members for this recently, and they were all very patient and loving with me. But they also understood I had to do that to get this thing, get on top of this thing. And, and I don't, but what I don't see in our culture today is godly sorrow. It's more this, like, I hope I don't get caught. I mean, I know you forgive me, God, but I'm going to do it. Maybe because you're going to forgive me, I'm going to go ahead and do this. It's not godly sorrow. It's... Because godly sorrow actually leads to repentance. What's repentance? You know, I'm lost in this low sin. It, repentance actually means to turn the other direction. It's a reversal of decision, what it literally means, a reversal of decision. You know, we turn from um, a lower s- a approach to sin to a higher ways of God. I'm turning away from my sin. That's what repentance is. And, and, and God's going to heal me. I'm turning away from my sin, and God is going to forgive me. And it's going to be just as if I've never sinned. He forgets it. God forgets it. That's what repentance is. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And, 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 and scripture is, the, the word that the, the scripture is using there is the Greek word for new, for fresh creation. Behold, all, all this old is gone, the new is there. I don't have to live in sin anymore because I can overcome it. I can overcome it by my own strength, by his power, he forgives me. This isn't, this isn't an example of, hey, hey, God, you know, we're, we're just buddies, right? I mean, I'm still doing what I want to do. That's not what this is. 
This is God, I'm growing close to you and God, you're pure and you're holy and you're righteous and you're loving and you're right and you're true. You're true. God, you're a truth. And the truth is that there are too many people today that love God but that are giving him the bird. But working through godly sorrow leads to repentance. Beliefs, as we wrap up this series, the beliefs that there's no such thing as absolute truth or that I can determine my own destiny, that is the most dangerous, subtle, deceitful plan of the enemy to put distance between you and God. There is truth. There is a way. And there is a life. And the name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. If you settle for anything else, you're settling for a cheap imitation of the truth. And what you're settling for is a truth that will bind you rather than the only truth that will ever set you free. Let's pray. God,